efforts and nonprofits statewide to strengthen Maine communities through grants and scholarships on the web at maincf.org. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host, Ron Beard, is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, a major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine, and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be a benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, Maine has long inspired human creativity. Think of the Native American basket makers who were at College of Atlantic and Bar Harbor last weekend displaying their wares. Um, the painters over the last couple of centuries, the writers of every age, all of whom interpret the natural world and the people of this state in ways that suggest a strong sense of place. And we're here to explore um, that uh, that connection with uh, three folks who I'm delighted to, can help us today with that topic. Kim Ridley. Um, Kim is a contributing editor of Down East Magazine. She's a writer, author of a forthcoming children's book, The Secret Pond, about vernal pools. And uh, we'll hear more about that. I'm sure. Welcome to you, Kim. Thank you. Also welcome Carl Little, a poet, author of Ocean Drinker and other works, including Art of Maine's Islands. And we should say for full disclosure, you're also an employee of Maine Community Foundation, who's wonderful to sponsor this program. So thanks for being here, Carl. Thanks, Ron. And a friend and colleague, Candice Stover. Uh, Candice is a poet and author of Poems from the Pond. I hope she'll read something from that a little later on. And um, she's also a, a fellow instructor at College of Atlantic. So welcome to you, Candice. Thank you very much. Well, let's hear from each of you um, very briefly about some of your background, how you um, came to the to the notion of of writing as as a way to respond to the to the natural world, to the state of Maine. Kim, could we start with you? Oh, sure. Well, I'm a Mainer. Um, many generations back, I grew up in York County, tenth generation, of course, up here. Local folks um, would say you're from. I'm from Northern Massachusetts, <laughs> um, but I grew up on the rural outskirts of a mill town, uh, roaming the same landscape my family did for many generations. Um, so I've I've loved the state. I went to school here. I lived away for ten years in Boston. Uh, was a writer there, and then just felt. Um, really an urge to come back uh, to this place. And I had the opportunity in 1995, uh, I joined John Wilson, uh, who started Hope Magazine. So I was the editor of Hope, which was a magazine about people creating positive change, a uh, small national magazine uh, that went on for about nine years. And uh, both Candace and I think Carl contributed, if I remember correctly, quite a while ago. <laughs> and um, Hope ended sadly, and uh, I decided I really wanted to stay here, and I've been a freelance writer ever since. Um, and I have twin passions. Um, people 
working to make a positive difference in some way from the middle of their lives. Uh, and also the natural world. I had a free range childhood uh, roaming fields and the beaches and uh, the shores. And so that's really, that subject is very dear to my heart. Mm. And when you say hope ended, you're not talking mm. about... You know, not in a larger <laughs> sense. Good, good. Glad to hear that. The magazine, yes. <laughs> um, Carl, how about you? A little bit of background on yourself. Well, I was born and raised in New York City, mm. uh, but I had a kind of a twin ex- twin place origin between the city and, and then out in Long Island, the South Fork of Long Island. And uh, when I look back, it really was that Long Island that really was uh, shaped my sense of the world, the natural world. Uh, we had a pond, we had pickerel, we had uh, snapping turtles, um, and a beach and the ocean and. Uh, but um, and so I, I I've written about Long Island. I haven't re- really written about New York, although that was really a major major part of my early life. And then in 1989, uh, my wife and I and our two children moved to Soamsville, and I became a Mainer as much as I could. <laughs> and it's just been it's just been wonderful. Um, the sense of place in this state is so strong, and uh, I've really I've, I've been able to tap into that in, in a number of ways through poetry, but also through art. Uh, and I I owe quite a bit of that to my Uncle Bill, the painter William Keenbush, who left his house on Great Cranberry Island to my brother and me in 1980. And I think it was his sense of place, which was Cranberry, but also Hurricane Island and Trevitt and all these places that he loved in Maine that kind of came over to David and me and mm. uh, have sort of guided us. Mm. From that's interesting because that's how I got to, to Maine, too. My father, actually, after World War II, moved a cottage from one end of Cranberry to the other. He, you know, that was, you know, somebody wanted a cottage moved, and, and he was buddies with the, the fellow. They spent the summer there, and, uh, you know, that's been my connection. Yeah, oh, that's great. That's I didn't pretty, know that. <laughs> Candace, how about you? How about uh, a little background? Uh, I'm also a person who was born in Maine. I think that place is one of the most important questions in our lives, uh, and it's something that I have a lot of ambivalence about. Um, It's a big, big question for me, place. And so, born and raised in Maine, couldn't wait to leave Maine, wanted to be in a city, in fact. Um, Came back to Maine at a time I hadn't expected in 1989-90. I really think home is a deep, deep question. So I traveled. I taught in New Zealand. I taught in Shanghai. Uh, I'm back here now and have been for almost 20 years. Working in some pretty inspiring places at the college, at Haystack, uh, leading a women's writing group on the island. I, I also, like Carl, we were neighbors there for a while. I live in Soamsville on Mount Desert Island, and I love my bike route. I swim almost every day in the pond that I've written about. Uh, I really feel drawn very much to two places, and I wonder about sense of place and home and how many places we can be at home in the world and what we attend to when we're at home. Mm-hmm. Great questions. I hope we can explore some of that. But I'd like each of you to, to um, kind of open um, with um, a reading. And each of you have been asked to bring something. Um, we'll go around the circle, and then we'll see if we can explore that a little bit. Um, Kim, would you like to start? Sure. This is a piece I wrote for Down East. And I think when we talk about place, we also have to include people. 
So this is a piece that celebrates both people and place. And uh, it's excerpted from um, a piece I wrote about Tinder Hearth and their open mic. Tinder Hearth, I'm sure everybody knows, is a wonderful bakery in Brooksville. Um, but they're very much about community as well. So this is called Some Kind of Wonderful. It's easy to feel like you've reached the sweet green ends of the earth when you drive through West Brooksville on a foggy evening. Lush meadows roll down to the Bagaduce River. Red-winged blackbirds and bobolinks sing from the marsh. Listen closer and you hear people singing too. The music is coming from an old barn. Step inside and you realize this isn't the end of anything, but perhaps a beginning. A crowd of 50 or better, counting several small children in bright rubber boots and a damp golden retriever, listens attentively as neighbors and visitors share their talents. A striking woman in her 50s sings some kind of wonderful a cappella. An octogenarian reads several pieces from American Poetry Review, and a young poet reads her own work from a notebook. A belly dancer is followed by various singers who perform original songs and covers of everyone from Joanna Newsom to Johnny Cash. Welcome to the Brooksville Open Mic, where musicians Lake Larson, her son Tim Semler, and his cohorts at Tinderhearth Bakery are rekindling community through music and food. At a time when some towns on the main coast are becoming seasonal retirement destinations, the Tinderhearth crew is finding ways to restore village life to a vibrancy that encourages people of all ages, especially young people, to stay, connect, and create meaningful lives for themselves. They're also living it. They call it the shiny pursuit of staying put. <laughs> the open mic which happens in the barn once a month in summer, has been a mainstay of Brooksville life since 2005. Over the years, performers have ranged in age from 4 to 87 and run the gamut from jug bands to magicians to musicians of every ability. Many performances are a bit rough around the edges, but perfectionism isn't the point. The crowd in the barn enthusiastically applauds for every performer. Semler, a gracious and amusing MC, invites everyone to enjoy homemade soup and Tinderhearth bread. A founder of Tinderhearth's band, The Living Daylight, and a former state, former state tuba champ, he plays the West African balafon in one piece, later sings the Beatles' Blackbird, and sits in on jazz drums for another singer's rendition of Comes Love. The evening's last song is a lovely meditative piece called Heart March, written by Semler's younger sister, Bridget. She invites everyone to join in as she harmonizes with her friend, the young Brooksville singer-songwriter Estelle Poole, whose gift has been nurtured at the open mic. Their voices rise sweet and high, riding the waves of sound as everyone sings. As the song ends, barn swallows return to their nests in the rafters. Evening deepens. Kids run around, hopped up on homemade cookies and brownies. The air smells of salt, wet grass, and earth. People linger. No one seems anxious to leave. Hmm. Well, wow. Kim Ridley reading a piece yes. that was published in Downey's Magazine. And, uh, um, you, you know, you talked about hope ending in the magazine. Mm -hmm. But certainly in, in that piece, hope is much alive. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Thanks. And that notion of the shining pursuit of staying in place. Yeah. Say more about that. Yeah, There's, I love that, the idea of the shiny pursuit of staying put. Um, I, too, like Candace, uh, when I was young, couldn't wait to get out of Maine. Um, 
but uh, I think that we form these strong bonds with our places. It's about paying attention. Um, it's about slowing down. It's about noticing. And I think it's really about creating a life for ourselves uh, instead of always looking for the next thing or the next new thing, um, really looking around at where we are and who we're with. And I think um, the folks at Tinder Hearth are really a beautiful example of that. And they're, they're young. These are people in their 20s and, and early 30s. Um, and it is also uh, very much uh, intergenerational. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that's really an exciting idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's about deepening our relationships uh, with each other and with our place. Mm, wonderful. Beautiful. <laughs> Carl, let's go to you. Um, tell us a little bit about the piece you'll share with us. And well, I, I, I did want to also segue from uh, from Kim and um, mention that, the you know, the Maine Community Foundation, we're, you know, community is our middle name, but we do talk about these things all the time. And actually the current issue of our newsletter has an article about the Brooksville Education Foundation. Mm. Another wonderful example of community built around, you know, education opportunities built around place. And uh, I just wanted to do a little Mm. shout out to them. And they were actually inspired by Siebert Brewer and the work he's done with the Island Education Foundation on Deer Isle. So Uh this sort of uh, looking at the community in place and, and, um, and trying to strengthen it from within. And getting inspiration from others who are experimenting. Yes, yes, exactly. Translating and and adapting. Right. Mike McMillan in Brooksville had this idea. He said, how am I going to do it? He said, someone said, you should call Siebert Brewer. Siebert Brewer said, you should call the Maine Community Foundation. So (laughs) whatever. But I thought I'd uh, read an earlier poem. Um, This is uh, from when we first moved to Soamsville. And uh, everybody knows that small Japanese bridge in the middle of town. (laughs) We moved there in the middle of winter. So... Mm. I did not know yet that it was one of the most photographed places in Maine, which is kind of fortunate in a way. To, to us, living on Oak Hill Road, it had this incredible magic. Coming from New York City, coming from a double stroller, going up to the 23rd Street Y with Emily and James, suddenly we were, every morning, walking across that bridge to the Montessori School in Soamsville. So this is, this is a little reminiscence of that. Soamsville Invitation. The gently sloping Japanese bridge is hard to resist from any angle. Today the arc and its reflection in slightly filmy water form a long oval of invitation. Like an odd-shaped mirror glimpsed through piled furniture at an auction, an opening to another world. Leaning over the rail, my daughter and I can see what we'd find, a brown stream bed with weeds bent by the flow, no fish, ducks pursuing their food search in the reeds. It's true we're all looking for something, in the woods, in water, under sofa cushions. Call it the glint of good fortune. Meanwhile, bridges help us get over things or simply provide a shortcut to school. Emily wants to traverse the ice-creaky planks again and again, hoping for magic, trolls and the like. But I tell her, wisely, I think, that we've got to get to know this stream leaper a lot better before we can expect such wonders. Yet this temptation in the landscape already has us where it wants, helpless and heartened in its narrow hold. Beautiful. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Carl Little yes. reading from, um, I think that's Ocean Drinker? Oh, Ocean that is. Drinker. Um, Great. My, Great. Yep. Great. 
great. Thanks so much. Um, that notion of, of uh, a bridge, <laughs> looking for those bridges in, in life, um, and your kids automatically sense that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's wonderful. I, another piece in the in the most recent uh, Maine Community Foundation newsletter is about trails mm. in Maine mm-hmm. and uh, and how many trails there are. Uh, the Appalachian Trail, Portland Trails. There's a new trail actually that Friends of Acadia has put together in Trenton. Mm-hmm. Kind of goes out behind the new mm-hmm. the new uh, greeting center there. And and I've, I'm fascinated by this whole idea of how that connects us to place mm-hmm. and to community and mm-hmm. and connects mm-hmm. communities one to another and. Uh, so bridges, bridges mm, serve I was a just, just driving on, on uh, Deer Isle um, yesterday and realized there isn't a straight line in that. <laughs> somebody, somebody laid out a trail that became, you know, a road, you know, became a path or a, or a conveyance way, and then it became a road. But that it was a winding path, a winding path. Yeah, yeah, right. That's life. It is. Candace Stover, would you like to share something with us? Yes, thank you. Um, the poem that I'm going to read to you comes from Poems from the Pond, and I've chosen it partly because I think we live in a world of increasingly fast pace, increasing volume of language, and one of the things that I think is the counterpart of writing is quiet and silence. It's a big part of how the work happens and how we're drawn to those places of quiet and need them. And so I'm choosing a poem called Bam because it's about that kind of silence and restoration in silence. I live about a six-minute walk, if that, from Soames Pond, and I go by it almost every single day, and I either bike past it, swim in it, have walked across it. Uh, It's a real place of solace and restoration. This poem is called Balm. After the reunion's excess of company and champagne, just the two of us ease the canoe into the pond. September's leaves light lamps around us. We paddle into gold suffusion as if entering a ripe pear. Our blades low, we lean and listen. The surface insects hectic the cool, still depths. A pair of wood ducks squawks away. The fruity air softens, darkening, as one by one the reeds extend themselves exactly by reflection. Mm. Candace Stover reading from um, Poems from the Pond. With a picture, I might add, a painting, uh, a very beautiful painting done by Kim's husband, Tom Curry, on the cover, (laughs) and with a publisher that Carl and I share, who is another inspiration in Maine, Jeff Haste, who just does beautiful work. Mm. He does. Really beautiful work, and a a real artist, really He really cares about what he's doing. I'll just remind listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns. This morning we're talking about Maine as Muse, um, perhaps a source of inspiration for writers. And in the studio with us we have Kim Ridley, um, a contributing editor of Down East Magazine and and, uh, author of a forthcoming book on The Secret Pool about vernal pools. And Carl Little as a poet and author of The Ocean Drinker and other works including Art of Maine's Islands also, Candace Stover, poet and author of Poems from the Pond, and um, a colleague of mine at College of Atlantic. Um, Candace, you m- mentioned that this notion of of place, sense of place, was um, not only just a source of, of inspiration from, oh, it's wonderful, but maybe as an irritant. Was how how you were puzzled by this, or you were you were stretching your mind around this question of of place. 
Uh, one of my COA students who'd been traveling in Eastern Europe came back with a quotation from somebody that he was drinking cocoa with in a some cafe. And it was that we see the world through the prism of our birthplace or our first home. And I'm really interested in that idea of the prism because it's it refracts, it bends, everything that we see goes through that prism. So as a person born in Maine, that's in me. And that question of home accompanies me and all the different places that we can actually feel at home and what draws us in those places that we do that. And I don't know if, Ron, if irritant's the word I would use as my, although that's interesting because I, what, what I think of when you say that is the bit of grit that's in mm -hmm. the shell <laughs> um, and that makes the pearl. And in a way that really, there's a real truth in that metaphor, I think, because the things where we do and don't feel at home, what and why, um, because I'm completely at home in that pond. Mm -hmm. I'm not one bit afraid of it at night. I've swum across it at all different times of the day. Uh, and that's just one example of that. It's where are we at home and where is something moving around us in that way? And how many bridges, says Carl, do, you know, in his poem, that we, do we need to cross mm -hmm. to settle in that place? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How would either of you, Carl or, or Kim, respond to that? Any any other thoughts around this notion of home? Well, I was thinking about uh, uh, you know Maine as muse as as um, from the art from the artist standpoint. Uh -huh. I said almost all of my bo art books relate to the art of a sense of place, and I might mention just a few recent ones. One being uh, the wonderful book of uh, Tom Curry's paintings. And there's an artist who has been obsessed with a single <laughs> island for years, uh, Chateau Island in, in Brooklyn. And uh, um, it's a beautiful obsession. Um, uh, Eric Hopkins from North Haven, who discovered flying and started to do these wonderful vistas of, uh, of, the, of, the, of Penobscot Bay. And then the most recent book that I've worked on, I edited my brother David's first book called Art of Katahdin. And that book is all about the artists that have come to that mountain, made 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 pilgrimage to northern Maine uh, mm -hmm. to to drink in that grandeur and and to paint and to respond to it. And I think the beauty there is that there's just it means so many different things to so many people. It's the the small remote pond, it, it's the peak, mm -hmm. it's the spiritual, the natural. Mm -hmm. It's it's. Uh, Alison Dibble doing an inventory of the flora. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, Percival Baxter. There's all kinds of history there. And it becomes this great place, this, this wonderful place. So um, for me, writing about art, there's just no end of, 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 the, of, of that kind of, mm -hmm. of, of, of those kind of visions to, mm -hmm. to, uh, to talk about, write about. And, and artists, um, going back to, um, as I said earlier, the, the Indian basket makers who are producing something very practical, but they're inspired by what they see, their, the materials and so on, to um, the painters of today, uh, that has, has helped shape the state. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I, a, a book that I go back to a lot is uh, Alan Gusso's A Sense of Place, mm -hmm. The Artist in the American Land. Uh, because he, he, for the first time, he really made the connection between art, uh, uh, landscape artists, and conservation, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. and I think that's it's, it's a, and that's that's grown. Uh, he came to College of the Atlantic at one point and, mm -hmm. and led a disturbance there. Letting, mm -hmm. They were trying to widen the road coming into Bar Harbor or something. But he was a wonderful. He combined that conservation ethic with mm -hmm. art, 
and the and the artist's vision and the so and I, I would add another layer to that um i was interviewing somebody the other day over in brooksville a sculptor and uh, i'm doing a piece for down east on the town of brooksville as a place it's it's through the lens of local food but also the broader culture of the place the arts are a big part of that and he said well really what i am is a maker and what i'm making right now is art and I think so we layer that, the conservation, the beautiful place, the art, and then this long history of making things here. We make boats and we make gardens and, and on and on and on, beautiful furniture. And I think that's really a piece of, of what contributes to the sense of place uh, and, and certainly feeds our work, it feeds my work in writing. Mm. Yeah. So the notion of place um, inspiring making yes, <laughs> of absolutely. all kinds. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I spent some time with the painter uh, Bill Irvin the other mm-hmm. day. He's a 80 something year old uh, Scotsman who lives in in, uh, in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And he he's haunted by place. I mean he's haunted mm-hmm. by his 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 years in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then coming to Blue Hill and discovering Maine and and his, his description of his first summer when he was in Millbridge and discovering Korea and Addison and all those sections down there just he just had found his home mm. and he has stayed here and and but he still people say oh some of your paintings look like Scotland and he says well they're they're you know I'll never get away from that that, mm-hmm. that that's always in the background but mm. there is that wonderful sense of uh of place that haunts us mm. I love that word um Carl haunting because that and and then I'm back Ron to that whole idea of the prism because there is that sense of where we've been seen through where we are and that sense of where we are seen through where we've been. So sometimes when I'm actually in Soames Pond by myself, I I mean, completely alone, except for the loons um, and maybe some other insects, but it is possible to be there alone. I am aware because of that time that I was teaching in Shanghai that I was in a city of 12 million people who will most likely not have the genuine privilege of that experience of being in a pond in the middle of a place that is green and relatively safe still. And it's, you know, you use, you use this word inspiration, and it really is to take a breath in. It's, it, it's, it's breathing in. And I think part of what the writer does really is to stop when that breath has come in, because what takes us to the page is something that really, it's been a breath. And when do we stop to take that breath? And being in the pond and remembering Shanghai, that's a sense of place that makes me take a breath. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I was also thinking about two poets that left us recently mm-hmm. um, who had an incredible sense of place. Um, one being Kate Barnes, yeah. who is our mm-hmm. first uh, yes. poet laureate, uh, you know, who was just, uh, you know, even her last name, I was thinking about it today. I mean, how fitting that her last name is Barnes. <laughs> I mean, here's someone who loved the farm, who loved mm-hmm. ox and horses and uh, uh, just, a, just a wonderful poet. And then the other one I was thinking about is Dan Hoffman. I don't know if, you've, if you knew him. He, he summered on Cape Rosier and lived in Philadelphia. But he, he uh, I have a wonderful quote from him. He once said, the main wilderness and the sea have all my life been invitations to the imaginative enlargement of, of life? Mm-hmm. And in a way, you, that's just what you said, Candace. I mean, you're, you're swimming in Soames Pond and you're thinking about the globe or mm-hmm. bigger places or other places. And, uh, but he was another one who really drew on, I mean, he, he was a city person, but he 
Cape Rosier really floated his boat, mm. shall we say. Mm. I think that's because, you know, that, that idea, Ron, that you gave us of the local writer, I think a lot, there can be an irritant sometimes in that term for some people because I want to believe that the, the so-called local writer takes us into the world in a different way. And Kate did that. Kate Barnes did that. And I was also thinking of Philip Booth, who I go back to mm-hmm. regularly because he is a rock of integrity in his, how he, well, you think of his poem, How to See Deer, um, as well as his poem, A Dream of Russia. You know, he's got, he's got these poems that will take you two places, more than one place, but all the time he's talking about what Kim, what we're all talking about. How do you see in the home where you are? And what are you looking at? Mm. Another really key question, you know, in this time of what are people looking at? Mm. Mm. Really, what is in front of you? Mm. What do you see? How well do you attend to it? So um, the the question that, that I posed, um, kind of providing you some some uh, irritants to think about, <laughs> um, was our... Are our senses of place threatened in some way? And Carl, you mentioned mm-hmm. conservation, the conservation movement as, as one response to a possible threat. Um, Kim, your reading talked about uh, the rebuilding, perhaps, or the reconnecting of community that may have been threatened. Are there other ways that you see both as uh, threats to our sense of place and responses to sense of place or, or that threat? Mm-hmm. Where is there quiet? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have to go and seek it out. Yeah, more and more. Right. More and right. more. Right. Or where is their night sky? Yeah. You know, to look at and mm-hmm. yeah. where it's not somehow yeah. marred by. Kate has this beautiful poem, Kate Barnes. I think it's just called A Summer Night. And she's imagining all of the things, but it's, her, it's because she's so keenly connected to place. She's imagining the lilies that are shut up. She's imagining the horse that's sleeping. She's imagining roses in ditches. She's got all of these things that she's aware of in the dark because she knows her sense of place so well. Mm. But there are places you can't, I mean, how, do, how well do you know your sense of place in the daytime, at night? Mm. Well, you know, that question again and again, what are you attending to at what time of the day, what's right in front of you? Mm. And sometimes you need to be reminded of these things. I mean, this is sort of one of the beauties of Facebook. You know, uh, so, someone posts. Someone, someone posts about. For someone who doesn't, I'm looking at Candace yeah. over here. Someone who shuns technology okay. as as well as she can. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I mean, uh, someone posted a while back that the, the super moon was was coming uh, up, and I had forgotten about it. And there was a lot of postings about it, and there were images of it. And I ran outside, and, and there it was. And, but I would have kind of, you know, I had forgotten, you know, sort of a, this wonderful. And even the sense in, in, on Facebook, you have different people from different parts of the country. You can feel the weather moving towards you, yes. you know, mm. someone posting from Boston and someone Boston mm-hmm. posting from Portsmouth or something. And mm. So, but... But I, the supermoon crawl was posting from where it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And that's where it is if you go and look. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is yeah. not waiting for anybody to tweet or Twitter it. <laughs> <laughs> You're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning um, here on WERU. We're talking about Maine as Muse, inspiration for writers and perhaps artists as well. Um, in our in our studios are Candace Stover, uh, Carl Little, and Kim Ridley. We'd like to open up our phone lines. Perhaps you're inspired by Maine. Um, either as a writer or as an artist or as a 
community member, give us a call if you'd like, 1-866-625-9378 or locally 469-0500 as we continue our conversation about Maine as Muse. Are there other ways that you see um, sense of place either being celebrated or threatened and then a response to that threat? What are the, yeah. what are the ways, Kim? Well, I think, I mean, obviously we, we call this place Maine, but we are affected by so many forces way, way beyond our borders, you know, economics, climate, Mm -hmm. social issues, on and on and on and on. Um, And I think I focus on the responses because that's just my passion. And I think there, and it's not that there's obviously any one solution or any simple solutions or solutions, period. But I think that there are some unique opportunities in this place where we live um, because of the landscape, um, because of the people, because of the history. And I think the responses are happening and to happen on several levels. Um, The first is that on the larger statewide or regional level, how do we look at what what do we have here? What are the forces that are conspiring to change is happening, it's going to happen. How do we want that change to happen? Um, In another one of my um, writing roles, I've done a lot of work with a group at the University of Maine, the Sustainability Mm -hmm. Solutions Initiative, which is based at the George Mitchell Center. Mm -hmm. And a group of scientists, uh, interdisciplinary researchers, Working on is working with the basket makers on a potential invasion of the emerald ash borer. How do we bring everybody into the conversation and be part of the solution? Um, they're working on tidal power up in Eastport, bringing the fishermen and the community into the conversation um, to do this in a thorough way. So I think that's one level. There are a lot of exciting things happening. Great organizations, Maine Farmland Trust, Community Foundation, MOFCA. So I think we have a richness here. On the local level, I feel that a conversation I would like to have more of within our communities, whether we're from Maine, we're from far away, we live here for a year, all year, or a few months, or a week, what do we all cherish about our community, about this place? And then how do we ensure its survival? How do we serve mm-hmm. that? And I think it, it requires everyone and every voice. And then on a personal level, because Maine is my muse, and um, I come from a long line of homebodies, and my family still laughs that I'm back here um, and mm-hmm. love it. I'm Of all my 11 first cousins, I live the farthest away from home, <laughs> three-and-a-half-hour drive. But on a personal level, um, what can I do to serve this place that I love? It's a mm-hmm. constant question. I hold. Mm. Um, and I've done, I think that question and the response changes over time. Mm. Um, so I just wanted to offer those thoughts. Mm, great. Yeah. That notion of, of, of both um, stimulating the conversation mm-hmm. that we need to have yeah. about what we cherish mm-hmm. and then what, what is my role? What, you yeah. know, what, what do I do about mm-hmm. that? Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Carl, Candace, responses? Well, I was uh, thinking going back again to um, – uh, Art of Katahdin, mm. my brother's new book. We were we were over at College of the Atlantic last night for the opening of uh, David Vickery's show. Yes. He's a wonderful yes. painter who's painted on Monhegan, and um, and then we went down to the Jessup Library to do this talk mm. on 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 Art of Katahdin, and we got into a wonderful conversation with Ken Klein, who's a professor at, at COA, about the whole campaign to preserve Katahdin Lake, mm. and that campaign is actually what started David my brother's obsession with Katahdin. He'd, mm. he'd been to the mountain many times, but uh, there was this wonderful idea that part of the campaign should be about the artistic legacy of Katahdin Lake. This is where Church painted and Hartley and these mm-hmm. wonderful painters over the years 
And so they recruited contemporary painters to, to, mm. to, to uh, sort of represent the mountain, including David. And then from that point, he became sort of obsessed. And mm. I was joking about it last night. He was every dinner conversation was about Katahdin, <laughs> and, uh, which was wonderful. Uh, but that, uh, that, so sort of out of that campaign to preserve that lake came this, mm. you know, and, and I think that, that the book is really the fulfillment of that in some mm-hmm. ways, of, the, of, mm-hmm. of his, uh, his desire to know the mountain and mm-hmm. to present it in mm-hmm. as many ways as possible. Mm-hmm. Shameless self-promotion. <laughs> <laughs> Brother promotion, brother pr- promotion, um, and and I see the the conversations sometimes. You know, Kim, you mentioned these conversations around uh, emerald ash borer or mm-hmm. tidal power. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes the conversations are too limited; they're not mm-hmm. framed in a way that invites everybody, yes, buddy in. And it sounds like your Brooksville um, experience says, mm-hmm. "Oh, everybody's welcome yes. to this conversation." Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah because what uh, what we can do together is. Uh, obviously much larger and we and we need everybody. Brooksville is a great example of that. Um, as I mentioned, the piece I'm writing for Down East now is looking at Brooksville primarily through the lens of the local food movement. Um, town of about 930 year-rounders, there are over 20 uh, farmers and food producers. And that's possible because many different kinds of people are involved. You have the young people coming back who are willing to do the hard work of farming. It is not, we see these beautiful farms. It's, <laughs> I've spent time, I'm exhausted just watching the farmers and, and uh, seeing what their lives are like. So we have the farmers. Um, we also have folks with the resources who are um, either supporting a land trust or supporting the farmers. And I think that's unique to this area. We have a summer community um, and other folks who are willing to support this, especially in a place where land values are super high. And then another unique thing we have um, are folks who uh, have lived here all their lives so far, um, who still have those practical skills, who are makers, who know how to raise chickens, who know how mm-hmm. to repair tractors. Um, and so for the piece I'm writing about Brooksville, um, you know, there's a, um, a wonderful man I interviewed, uh, and local food is nothing new for him. That's the way he mm. grew up. Yeah. And um, he his farm serves as kind of an informal incubator for uh, folks who want to get into farming. So I think, so it's everybody. It's someone who's from here, it's um, mm-hmm. folks who've moved in who can support it, it's people who are doing the work, and it's all of us who, who benefit from mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it's also picking up, Kim, on what you're saying, that, that knowing the places, and Carl, too, what you were saying about Katahdin, knowing the places that you want to celebrate. Mm-hmm. I mean, people come back to, where, to Maine, they're drawn to something here. And then those of us who are here often are staying because we're drawn to something here. And what are those things that we're drawn to and how do we celebrate them and how do we listen to them? I'm thinking when you're speaking about this with local food, there's a place on the island that uh, there's more than one, but I'm thinking of a particular one where in order to go buy crab meat, you walk, you can walk right through the bait room. And it is, it is rank and it is wonderful. And when you get to the other side, there's a woman that has been picking crab for 30 years and she is round, warm, dignified. She's terrific. And, and I'm not romanticizing this because mm-hmm. there's all of it. That's hard work. It's mm. hard work and yeah. it's knowing how to do it and it's attitudes towards all of it. And I think that sense of celebration in a very direct conversation with that place one by one really adds to the spirit of the place. I walk through that bait room, I breathe it in, <laughs> and I am grateful for it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then I see the shells spread across the counter and the stainless steel, and I see her standing there, small and strong and smiling, and I celebrate mm-hmm. that presence and resource. Um, and I think that has to happen again on a moment by moment way as we move through the day attending to what we attend to. So whatever is drawing us to place, mm-hmm. how do we celebrate that daily? So it's, it's wonderful that, that um, sometimes it's a campaign, it's a conservation campaign. You know, sometimes it's, it's um, kind of um, uh, the celebration. That is an act, that's kind of an antidote <laughs> to what we may lose. So celebrating is, is a way to do that moment by moment and then as part of the whole. Yeah. yeah. Is Maine a good place to be a writer? It is a fabulous place to yeah, be a writer. Say why. why? Well, I think it's a, you know, it's, it's there are fewer distractions from the from the city and and you 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 have those opportunities to be swimming out on a pond and thinking about things and uh and just uh, uh you know, having the time and and being and having the surroundings. Mm. Um, but I was going to mention that uh you know, when you talk about the the crab picker um I've, for some reason, been writing poems about Ellsworth recently. Mm-hmm. And these places that I go to, I've been commuting to Ellsworth now for 12 years. Uh, these places that I go to, like the dry cleaners <laughs> and the Redemption Center and the people who work there, the people, I mean, if you've ever seen the guy at the Redemption Center sort the snapples from the wine, from the thing, I mean, it's it's, 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 there's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Uh, but I have been there long enough now to sort of, fall in love with some of these places. I particularly like the dry cleaners for some reason. <laughs> I just love all of the clothing passing yeah. by and how it represents all the citizens of Ellsworth. Mm. I've tried to write about it. and mm. uh, But there's a different kind of community. I remember interviewing uh, Jan Willem van de Vettering, yes. who's this wonderful Dutch novelist and writer who, who lived in Surrey for many years. And I said, well, what do you think about Ellsworth? And I'm thinking that he was going to go off the, his handle. And he said, I love that place. There's so much parking. You know, you can get anything you want. So here's another, you know, very different perspective on community. Uh, I mean, that's our... You know, even though he called it Rotworth in his novel. Yes, right? even though he called it Rotworth. Yes, that's right. Good, Ron. Yeah. In his Hugh Pine books. That's right. Hugh right. Pine. Yeah. Kim, is, is, is Maine a good place to be a writer? It is. It is. Um, I've, it, I've been supporting myself as a writer for the past almost 10 years. Um, and I think what makes it a great place as a writer, again, as Carl and Candace have said, the profound beauty, uh, the peace, the solitude, uh, attention, uh, as Candace said. So I, I'm a bird watcher, and that's I'm writing about birds now in, in my own work. And my ritual in the morning is opening my door to listen uh, for who's singing. Mm. Uh, and I've kind of carried that with me as I've, I've gone to different places. Um, so it's the place, it's the life, it's the wildlife. And again, I always come back to the people and the community. Uh, I've been, I have a wonderful writer's group. We all work in different genres, but certainly that's essential to all of my work. And I think in a place like this, it is, it takes a while um, to connect with folks, but I think very deep relationships form. And I think when we're talking about place, whether it's um, painting a landscape or writing a poem, paying attention. It really is about relationship. It's a very, very alive thing. And I feel that that is more possible here. I feel there's a sense of spaciousness here, um, geographically, but also in this other way, I feel that like there's room for everyone here. Um, and that includes in our cities. There's some really interesting things happening in the revival of some of our mm. uh, cities and mm-hmm. some of our mill towns. Candace, how would you respond to the question, is Maine a good place to be a writer? January. 
<laughs> I am a person who loves summer, but I love January. And I'm saying that as fact and metaphor. Uh, it's light, it's quiet, it's intensity of seasons, it's transitions. All of those things, I think, feed writing. Mm. I'm always cautious about this, uh, is it a good place to be a writer? Because I think anywhere in the world, I mean, I just finished reading this book by a Greek writer who was in, you know, a concentration camp, you know, political prisoner camp. Mm. Um, it's where you attend to the world, mm. but it's what, it's what Maine allows you to attend to in that way. And our, our seasons, uh, our qualities of light, in those seasons, which some people paint and some people write, and the both the sense of community that Kim's talking about and the solitude that's made possible by those things. I, I offer January as a metaphor for it because yeah. I, mm -hmm. don't ask me about March, but, <laughs> but January, I just think, oh, it's beautiful. Mm. And I'm really offering that as metaphor in fact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It gets back to that, that space. Yeah. Um, just another quick, quick thought about that and about the creative community here. I think there's also an opportunity to collaborate. Uh, Candace uh, and my husband Tom Curry have collaborated as a poet and painter, and um, I have to say I'm hugely inspired by other creative mm. people here. Writers, both of the writers in this room, are spectacular poets, um, are essayists, are are journalists, um, and really are visual artists. Um, and I've had a wonderful opportunity uh, to collaborate with my dear friend Rebecca Ray, who's a wonderful artist. For years, we dreamed of doing a kids' book together and finally got the opportunity, um, as Ron said, The Secret Pool, which is about the life, uh, a year in the life of a vernal pool, the pool mm -hmm. telling its own story, wow. um, which was really fun to write. It's for little kids, K through three. Um, but to see my words brought to life by a fabulous painter, um, was I don't even have words for that yet. It was mm -hmm. it was such a gift, and that's something I'd like to do more uh, is collaborate with uh, folks in other media. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for that here. Mm -hmm. And Maine is both small and large in that way. I think you know. I mean, you, you as a poet, you you know who the other poets are, and you've read their work in many, many, many cases. Not every, of course, but uh, and so you know who people are. And, and yet it can be far flung as well. So it's both, I mean, because of the distances that we have to travel, but I really have a sense of their work is on my shelves. Mm -hmm. I can call people up and talk to them and have and worked with and written with. And there's something that really does knit a sense of community with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's take a phone call from one of our listeners. If you'd give us your first name and the town you're calling from with, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yeah, hi, this is Frank Donnelly in Marlboro, Maine. I have a, a book of poems here from a guy that used to, I don't think he's around here any longer, and he used to go on the college of Atlanta and use the library. Milburn Templeton is his name, or is his name. And he lived in Columbia, and I think he was a retired teacher from Tennessee. Somewhere. I picked up the check a couple of times, and he always had these little poem books for two bucks, or well, whatever you gave him. He used to ask about two bucks. <laughs> Searching the Silence, Poems from Maine. I don't know if any people remember him. Milburn Templeton. Great. No. Well, I, I, everybody's writing that down, yeah. Frank. So thanks for that suggestion. Yeah, I got two little book here from him. He had them, you know, probably printed out. just a little book, but then they're good poems, I might add. Great, <laughs> great. All right, you don't have to be doing. 
Okay, thanks. thanks. Thank you Thank so you. much for your call. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about Maine as Muse, inspiration for writers and perhaps others. Um, Kim Ridley, Carl Little, and Candace Stover. And I think we'll um, go in, in that order to um, um, ask you to share a second piece of writing. Sure. So, okay. Kim, would you like to start? Sure. So this is an essay I wrote for Down East, and it, it connects um, with the work I really love doing. I adore essays. And this mm. is uh, very much about place. It's a love letter to the beach. Mm. And this next excerpt, it's called Back to the Beach. A short walk takes me through spruce woods to the beach. My brain buzzes with anticipation as I swat mosquitoes and walk down the muddy path. The first glimpse of the shore through the trees blasts the chatter from my mind. The long curve of beach beckons into the distance. Waves slam onto the shore, and granite tosses back salty mist. A herring gull shrieks. Goldenrod blazes from a chink in the ledge. Everything utters the same refrain. Now. Nowhere does time feel shorter and more precious than on a beach in Maine on a clear summer day. The light is audacious. The sea holds winter's chill, a reminder of what's to come. The tide is still going out, but will soon return, making the crossing impossible. I slip off my sandals and wade across the knee-deep tidal river, pushing hard against the current. Something small and slippery wriggles under my toes. I lift my foot as a sand lance, a silvery eel-like fish burrows into the riverbed. Though the channel is narrow, it marks the boundary of another world. The beach is a place of paradox. It smacks of eternity, yet is a landscape in flux. I walk northwest up the shore, following the wavering rack line left by the last high tide. Sand fleas ping against my ankles as I search the tangle of rockweed and eelgrass for the sea's leavings. Clam and mussel shells lie scattered about, along with bottles and other plastic detritus, which I collect in a bag. The air is hot near the dunes, so I return to the sea to walk in the water. A small flock of sanderlings flies low over the waves, revealing pale undersides as they turn in unison, flashing against the dark water like an animated constellation. They land farther down the beach, running along the tide's advance and retreat as they probe the wet sand for small invertebrates. By the time I reach the far end of the beach, my, li my limbs are loose and my skin salty. I stand at the edge of another tidal river and consider wading across to walk the beach beyond. But if I misjudge the tide, it would be a long and treacherous swim home. Instead, I linger a few minutes on this spit of sand, this temporary terra firma, and watch terns hover over the river's mouth. White with black caps and brilliant orange beaks, they fold their bodies into arrows of hunger and plunge into the water. Every so often, one rises into the air with a small silver fish. My mind rises and dives with the birds. A gaggle of fellow beachwalkers laugh and splash in the waves. In this elemental place of water and sand, perhaps we become less encumbered. We shed something as we brush up against the living world and rest our eyes on a horizon unmarred by human will. We begin to remember who we really are, not our jobs or our roles in life, but animals who revel in the warmth of the sun, the tug and sway of the sea, the cooling breeze. We smile and wave. Something shifts. I feel strangely buoyant, even though the tide is rising 
and it's time to go. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you, Kim. Kim Ridley. Who's the poet here? (laughs) (laughs) Great. Carl, would you like to share something? Yes. Um, A couple of summers ago, I had the opportunity to uh, spend a week on on Great Spruce Head Island Mm. as part of an artist retreat that is hosted every year by Anina Porter Fuller, who is the niece of um, Fairfield Porter. And we all stay at the Porter House out there. And there's nothing, I mean, when you talk about sense of place, uh, they're celebrating their 100th anniversary this year of the Porter family being on that island. And when you think about Fairfield and then Elliot Porter and, and other members of the family who have found their muse out there, it's mm-hmm. it's really quite remarkable. So it's it's wonderful to be able to share that. And uh, so I, I went out as a writer and, 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 and quickly started looking around for something to write about. Um, and as we were walking up from the dock the first day I was walking with Anina, I saw a snake. So this is a small green grass snake. And I might mention that I've referenced Ricky Tiki Tavi, the story by um, Rudyard Kipling about the famous mongoose who could kill, kill snakes. Small green grass snake, Great Spruce Head Island, Maine. Slithers through the grass, although slithers doesn't do it its movements justice. Maybe glide or ripple or shape shift, so delicate, thin, moving up the path ahead of our footsteps. God or someone saw the shape in the grass and called it green grass snake, an easy ID compared to, say, Bactrian camel or nudibranch or ocelot, all part of paradise, which makes me think of the poor snakes of St. Croix, enjoying rain of a virgin island, looking up one day to find a mongoose in their path, which proceeded to rip them skin from skin, brought in to clean up Eden, a ricky-ticky-tavi nightmare for the serpent crew, an injustice played out by man playing God. The ghosts of snakes rattle the dry corn shakes, while here a slim slider of light green hue that wouldn't know a mongoose from a molehill heads up to the left in search of edibles in the northern kingdom of Great Spruce, where no one holds dominion over nothing. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, there's lots of themes that we could explore there. Thank you, Carl. Man playing God being one of them. Yeah, I think so. And Candace Stover, finally, to wrap Uh, up. Yeah, I'm going to read something from a notebook project attending to the five senses that I began a couple of years ago. I've been really big on notebook projects for a while. Uh, And so this is called Window, and it connects to what we were talking about before about what do you see, what do you pay attention to, and how. So this is called Window. Window you are not looking out of. Window where you remember ways of looking. Window reminding you to notice what? Years of mornings, afternoons, dusk, then dark, returning. Window before there was a house to hold it. Window once at home in the trees. Window facing every season of all the leaves know. Window open to notes of the hermit thrush, hidden and beckoning. Window watching a garden emerge. Window for singing praises, alleluias, crows, chives, light. Window with its bamboo shade lifted, framing which scene now? Window on a white world, cold and clean, then mud, dust, green. Window of the chopping block and knife, coffee cups, bowls and spoons. 
Window familiar with the scent of garlic, steam of rice. Window with its sill of souvenirs, seashell, wishbone, a glass bear. Window over a long iron sink, cast in 1886, restored, also saved. A kitchen window, a transparency, a place to confirm outside weather, where perspective, unblinded, turns to air. Mm. Wow. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Well, we're almost, um, Candace Stover, by the way, mm. I'm reading mm. that poem. Is it called Window? It is. Yeah. God. So thank you. Um, what's, what's ahead for each of you, briefly, um, before we wrap up? Um, anything, any events that you'd like um, listeners to know about? Uh, Kim, th- tell us the name of the book that's about to be published sure. by Tilbury House. Yes, it's called The Secret Pool, and it comes out October 1st. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we don't have events planned yet, but Rebecca, Rebecca and I will be making the rounds of various venues and schools, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, nice. Great. Mm-hmm. And Carl, you mentioned your brother's book. Anything that uh, you want to mention about that or your own work? Um, I'm actually doing a talk at the Northeast Harbor library in August with a painter named Joel Babb, who's uh, very much a painter of place. Uh, I can't remember the date of that, but that's later later in August. But I was also going to say that uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be seeing my granddaughter uh, later tonight. Uh, <laughs> and that's really more important than okay. just about anything else. So, wow. Yeah. From Emily. Emily. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. Maria. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, six weeks old. So. Oh, great. <laughs> Uh, I am part of a Malay festival down in Camden uh, mm-hmm. at the Whitehall Inn on the 25th of July. It's an evening event. Kathleen Ellis uh, is, I think she's the organizer of it. Uh, and there are many other things going on around that Malay event. But it's a beautiful, beautiful venue. And it's wonderful because it was where Malay was, in quotation marks, discovered uh, so the, it, it will be wonderful. We're doing readings, and it's actually partly connected to food. So the 25th of uh, July in Camden. Great. Well, thank you all so thank much. You. Thank you, Ron. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. And a reminder that uh, um, on the uh, fourth Friday of this month, I'll be uh, um, happy to um, um, welcome um, um, another main writer. So we'll hear more about that um, later on. Um, our theme music is a medley from Koranak on a Belnane House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests um, in the studio, um, Kim Ridley, contributing editor for Down East Magazine and, and author of forthcoming book, The Secret Pool. Carl Little, author of Ocean Drinker and other works, including Art of Maine's Islands. And Candace Dover, poet, author of Poems from the Pond. Thanks to those who listened and called in. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. Perhaps not with Joel Raymond this morning, but we'll see. A surprise guest, host, wonderful. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. <laughs>